Well, I'm, I have an intro. Now that we've already talked for a while, it's like not going to be true anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Emma. I am so excited that we're recording this Mormon episode two because one, people are asking about it, which is really awesome. And two, because I miss you so much, Jolie. I feel like we're strangers now. To start off, you said I'm going to do my intro, but it's not true anymore. So you don't still miss me? <laughs> well, or people aren't still asking about Mormons. Which of those things isn't true, Emma? Whatever, bitch. I don't know. I guess like, we just, like if we had just started, I would have been like, <laughs> you know, we like caught up for a little bit because I was like totally not set up. Hello, everybody. My name is Julie and I have had a bevy of personal crises and that is plural for crisis. So uh, the reason we haven't recorded in a crazy amount of time is because I had a couple of deaths in my family. My brain has just been like overloaded. And it still kind of is, if I'm honest. I'm still a little bit overloaded. I'm so sorry you've been having such a rough time. You know, I've been having a rough time for a while, but I think I was kind of like narrowly holding it together by like the skin of my teeth. Mm. After the second death, I was just like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm fucked now because mm. everything is about to fall apart and I can tell that it's going to happen. So I can either ignore it and try to pretend like it's not going to happen or I can lean into it and just get it over with. Totally. Well, Benny's grandpa, grandma died yesterday. Oh my God. Two days ago. And he found out in this morning, same thing. He's like, I was like, how are you doing? Like, do you want to talk to your family? What do you want to do? He's like, I'm feeling sad and I don't want to feel sad. I was like, I think you need to. Yeah. You have to feel sad. And until you do, like you won't be able to like move forward. Well, I, I would always tell people when I was like still doing the cuddling stuff or when I was still, you know, able to do anything normal, like you get to choose when you feel it. And if you feel like you have a week where you just really need to buckle down and do your thing, cool. Then take your week, buckle down, and then feel it after. But if you wait too long, you don't get a choice in when you feel it. Totally. You're totally right. You have to allow yourself to to feel all the horrible feelings and to like, not necessarily like marinate in it, but like allow yourself to say, you know, this really sucks. Mm-hmm. And I can I can say that it sucks. And I can say that like, I don't I don't like this and I don't want to be in this mm-hmm. and I can feel it now so that later I don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to come back up. Like it's always going to come back around a little bit, but I don't have to worry about like the big fallout. 100% like with my dad's death, I tried not to think about it for years and like it's only oh. taken me recently to be like able to talk about it. And on the 26th, that's like 14 years or something since he passed oh away. Gosh. Like that's crazy that it took me that long to finally like not cry, not, not like cry about it or be weird about it. Cause I did that. I did what you're saying. I just like, didn't allow myself to ever deal with it. The avoidance turns into other behaviors that are not acceptable either. And they certainly don't help you in your life. Absolutely. And I think, especially as I like, you know, having a kid, I'm like, okay, well, it's never a convenient time to feel a lot of horrible emotions, mm-hmm. but yeah. I can feel them now and then be a semi-okay mom for the next month and maybe a better mom after everything, you know, dies down a little bit. Or I can adopt some very unhealthy coping strategies and really fuck up. 
<laughs> yeah, what? Like just drinking all day long and stuff? I don't know. I don't know what I would lean toward because like drinking, drinking doesn't really do it for me. Losing control doesn't really do it for me, but I, I have no idea what I would lean into, but I... I know that I would find something. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm totally <laughs> addicted to a jewel now. I like smoke an e-cig. I don't know how it happened, but I feel like- Is it's it like, like nicotine or is it like- It's nicotine and I was getting like the 5% nicotine and now I'm getting the three because I'm like, oh my God, I'm like really addicted. To- <laughs> yeah, oh my God. If I was smoking yeah. cigarettes, I'd be like a pack a day person. Yeah, 100%. So I'm hoping I do like the three for a little bit and then maybe get like the herbal ones or something instead. Because I like the whole action of doing it, but not yeah. like if I lose it, I'm like, you know, looking in vents and like- <laughs> I'm joking, but you know what I mean? You're not like digging in your couch like, <laughs> where is it? Like in Party Monster? Do you remember Oh that? my God. Oh my God. But like, seriously, I've known people like that. People who have just quit smoking and they like are desperate for the tiniest morsel of nicotine. They'll like oh, go through people's ashtrays. Like, ew. Ew. Dude, come on. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> just... Just buy a buy a cigarette, okay? Buy a Lucy from somebody. Come on now. The thing is, like, I used to when I'd have drinks or whatever, I would like want to smoke cigarettes, and now I don't. I mean, I guess this is the same, but it's not yucky. I've never been a big smoker. I now will smoke like CBD before bed, but I just realized that what I thought was CBD, someone had given me some cartridges, and what I thought was CBD was like just straight up like Kush. (laughs) So I was like, why is this one so strong? I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs) Then I looked it up. I was like, oh my God, this is like 70% THC. (laughs) Like what the fuck? And I'm just like puffing away. Like it's my normal CBD. Okay. So I just, I've just been high for a while then. Is what I just said weird? weird? (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearing things. Did I ever tell you about eating a pot cookie and the Beyonce performance at the I, I can't remember what I it was. You did tell me this. <laughs> it was, uh, she was singing Freedom with Kendrick Lamar. The The stage was covered in water, but the whole time it felt like it was in slow motion. And I just kept thinking, is that water? Is that water? <laughs> I'm just like, and I watched it later and I was like, that's clearly fucking water. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, just so painfully high, painfully <laughs> high. That can happen with edibles. It really can. I didn't even I didn't even take that much because my friend Angela, who made them, she was like, these are strong. I will take a quarter. You should take a bite. And I took a bite and I was like, is that water? (laughs) Ah." (laughs) (laughs) So this is me saying that I don't do drugs well. Unless it's like ecstasy because everybody does that well. Everyone does ecstasy just fine. You puke in a cup. You make friends with everybody literally a thing that happened to me. I puked in a cup and I said, I've puked in a cup in front of you. We're all friends now. And everyone laughed, but I was serious. I was like, we've really connected. I would never puke in a cup in front of anybody before this. We're best friends now. (laughs) We're best friends. But yeah, so today we are are finishing up the saga of the Mormons and I cannot wait to get into it. I'm going to go ahead and preface it by saying so many like smarter people have written books about the Mormons. I'm not going to be one of those who adds to it. I'm not adding anything like nuanced and valuable that nobody else has thought of before. So I just thought it podcast, mostly correct information. That's not different than anyone else has ever told you before. Don't quote me. It's the new (laughs) title. That's great. That's really good. 
So where we left off, we talked about Joseph's early life. We talked about the fact that a lot of the prophecies that he had were events described previously by both his father and his grandfather. We talked about the fact that he and his family were very much into folk magic, which was not unusual for the time, like the early to mid 1800s. People were coming over from like Europe and and still had a lot of their old folk traditions from there. None of that shit is exceptional for him. We talked about the fact that there was a theory of the time because of American exceptionalism. People were trying to find their way in the what they call the new world. We all know that the new world is like, obviously, the, the native world has existed since before Europeans came over, right. but whatever. World, but I'm not going to get into it. I'm not getting into that. Was this shit racist? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Hell yes, it was. But there was like the theory that how how do we justify like us coming to this new place, this manifest destiny that we're trying to push? Oh, wait, the Native Americans that live here are actually the descendants of the one of the lost tribes of Israel. Sure. <laughs> Some people have said, well, we can't prove it. I mean, the, the lineage is so diluted that you wouldn't see any Jewish genetics. Yes, you would. Mm-hmm. You absolutely would. We can actually pinpoint... For a fact that what we consider Native Americans, obviously multiple tribes and and groups of people, they came over on the Bering Strait from what is Asia now. But apologists will tell you there's no way that we can trace the lineage. It's too diluted. You know, they interbred with other people. That is not what the Book of Mormon says. The Book of Mormon says that there was nobody on this land. And then one of the lost tribes of Israel came over and populated this entire space. That's stupid. Joseph Smith did not come up with this. He actually read about it in other places. And one of his cronies, Oliver Cowdery, actually had worked for a publisher who had published a book about this very thing. There is some evidence of him and Oliver Cowdery kind of working together. We talked about Martin Harris. He was a farmer and he was mainly like the money provider. Like he was very into spiritualism. He was constantly having himself a, a spiritual revelation. He was seeing angels. Like he was he was one of those people who you're like, yeah, yeah, grandpa. I get it. You saw an angel. Okay. <laughs> People thought of him as like an honest man, but kind of cuckoo. We also talked about David Whitmer, who was another of the cronies. I don't know. There wasn't anything like really exceptional about him. He just like was another person to help to write the Book of Mormon and to kind of push it out there. So he was just another of the early adopters. Those three people, Oliver, Martin, and David Whitmer, were the first three witnesses. They went into the woods. They very likely had some mushrooms or some sort of tea or concoction. Got a little high. Joe was like, hey, don't you see the angel with the tablets? And they're like, yeah, man. (laughs) Um, We also talked about how, like, at the time... The Freemasons were a very maligned group in the U.S. and how the Smith family had a long history with the Freemasons even being involved in some of their temples. We talked Mm -hmm. about how the Book of Mormon and the magic underwear and all of that has a lot of borrowed elements from Freemasonry. And I think that might have been where we left off. On the last episode, drugs. People, dum-dums. Underwear. (laughs) 
what will they think of next? So all this was happening. He he met the first of many wives, but like his primary wife was Emma Hale Smith. Her parents fucking hated him. They almost immediately got kicked out of, not kicked out, like she wasn't kicked out. If she had said, I don't want to be with this man anymore, I think her dad would have been like, yeah, cool. We'll take care of you for the rest of your life. You don't have to marry another person. Like just fucking leave this douchebag. But she actually ended up moving before her parents died. And I don't think she ever saw them again. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So they were kicked out because Joe was still pulling his bullshit. And Isaac Hale was like, absolutely not. You're not welcome here, man. You keep scrying, you keep doing your weird shit that you told me you weren't going to do anymore. Like he tried to get him involved in like legitimate business and Joe just wasn't having it. Like he just wasn't interested. He wanted to be the prophet. This was Mm -hmm. like his family's path to financial freedom. So at the time they were still living in Palmyra and they established the Church of Christ. That was the the first name that they came up with. And I think there is actually a branch of Christianity called the Church of Christ, not related. I think that okay. might be like Presbyterians or something. Don't quote me on that. I'm a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in any of this shit. To be really, really fair, I think all religion is equally like a little nutty. If you look into it, so I'm not pinpointing Mormons as being especially crazy. There's weird shit everywhere. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, if you're Mormon, it's not like I'm saying you specifically are the craziest of the bunch. It's like, let's point out the the fallacies in religion. And if you still want to believe it, if you still choose to believe it and have that kind of faith, and if like it brings you peace and comfort and community, cool. Mm-hmm. But if you don't look at the things that you believe in with a critical eye, then can you really say that you believe them? Well, yeah, I know what you mean. I just think like a big part of religion is just having faith. You know what I mean? And just like not thinking about it much more than that. And to me, it even comes down to like the, you know, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. That is such a fucking big statement in Abrahamic religions. I like that. It's, it's insane. It's like, do not think for yourself. Do what we tell you. Mm-hmm. And just have faith that we know what we're talking about. That's a pretty dangerous place to be as a follower because then you can almost be convinced of anything if you feel like the other person has a justifiable reason for saying it. Mm-hmm. And that means that you will do anything to protect your religion. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a weird place to be. So I don't know if we talked about this last episode because I don't remember how long it was ago, but did I talk about like Death of a Mormon or whatever, that documentary on Netflix? It did you wasn't watch out yet. At the time, yeah. it wasn't yeah, okay. out. It? I haven't watched it yet, but I know all of the story. Yeah, it's very interesting. Holy shit. Yeah, so I mean, it's like kind of like what you're talking about, you know? It's like, well, he found all these historic documents or whatever, and they're just like, we're not okay with this. But like everybody already believed in, right? So it's like, then what? You backtrack and are like, well, actually, the whole basis of the story is wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I started watching it and I was like, oh yeah, it's this thing. Cause like I had already I had already read about that guy. And um there's actually this woman, I can't remember her name, but she is the great granddaughter of Brigham Young. And okay. she talked about it and she actually studied with a man who I think initially had purchased the documents to like study them or like maybe he had just acquired them to study them. And he was an excommunicated member of the church. So he had already been doing his research on Joe Smith and his craziness. But yeah, like there is a deep well of excommunicated Mormons just trying to be honest with people like this is what it is. This is not Christianity. The Mormons have their own specific faith and like it 
kind of includes Jesus, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like it did at the time, for sure. Like Joseph Smith believed in Jesus and he like, that was a an early part of his preaching. Jesus Christ is coming back and there's going to be a new Zion and all of that shit. But then mm-hmm. past that, it really was like, Jesus is just one of many gods and you if you have enough wives and if you like lead a spiritual life, then you will get your own planet. You can be a god and populate it with spirit babies and... <laughs> Like it morphed into something where you're just like, oh, you are for sure taking psychedelics. <laughs> That's what's happening here. Right. There is no way that you're not high. Is he the Latter-day Saint? It's like a patriarchal society, right? And as far as I understand, any man who who joins the priesthood, which is basically just like you promised to have a wife and babies and to like live the faith and to uphold the church and the doctrines oh, and to the spread the word. Okay other priests it's very much like you become a priest if that's what you say that you're gonna do and if you like uphold the church and like you know do what you're told then you are promised in the afterlife to have your own planet and to be your own god and to live with your spiritual wives and and to you know make spirit babies so the latter day is once you've entered spirit place. Yeah. So the latter day basically is like uh, the after the second coming of Christ. Okay. The latter day saints would be like the people to lead the world into like the new millennium is how I understand it. I could be entirely misunderstanding it because like I said, I'm a total heathen. So a lot of this stuff I read and I was like, uh, okay, (laughs) fine. Maybe I'm not the right person. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm not the right person to read about religion. But I am very interested in it. At the time, Church of Christ was still in Palmyra, New York, and Joe was making a nuisance of himself. He was baptizing people, which in and of itself was not that big of a deal, except for the fact that he was doing it in a way that it was almost threatening to other people because he was saying things like, we're going to own the new world and anyone who dissents is not going to be a part of our world. And therefore, we're the people who are justified in taking the property and having the world after Jesus' second coming and he's coming soon. So like, join me and you're going to own the world. And that's super threatening to a lot of like poor farmers. Not only that, but he had fucked over a lot of people with his scrying and his treasure seeking because he was taking their money and not providing them with any sort of treasure. He he would say things like, you know, I see in my seer stone that there is Spanish treasure buried here. And it never came to pass. But he was still doing that kind of shit and saying that he wasn't doing it. And he actually went to court a couple of times for this kind of like what they called disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct basically just means like you're you're making a fucking nuisance out of yourself. You mm-hmm. are not doing what we told you to do, which is to not be fraudulent, not tell people that you're going to find treasure for them and then not yeah. come through. He was already acting weird around women. And he was acting weird in a way that was like vaguely threatening. He was trying to get people's families involved in the church. And obviously that's like a thing that everybody's going to try to do, right? If they're starting up a church, you want congregants. Otherwise you don't have a church. It's just you and your room. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell myself. (laughs) So he was trying his best to get people in, but he would also like almost predate on young women. And he had been accused a couple of times of being weird around one particular woman who was the daughter of some man who had joined his church. And he was like trying to get her alone in rooms. And like he had people kind of like follow her and try to like escort her to like talk to him. Oh, weird. And so finally, people were like, we've had enough. You have got to go. So he basically said, "Okay, I've had a revelation. (laughs) 
we're going to Ohio. <laughs> That's so weird. I know. In here to this lady. Fuck it. Let's go to Ohio. I've had a revelation. I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they he chose Ohio because he was already sending people out to preach the good word or whatever. So some people had already come back and said, Ohio is kind of nice. I was like, oh, cool. It's funny <laughs> you mentioned Ohio because the yeah, Lord just spoke to me. <laughs> I got to fucking go. So before we talk about Ohio and moving to Ohio, we're going to talk about Porter Rockwell because Porter Rockwell actually comes into the scene before Ohio. Porter Rockwell was the muscle behind Joe. Porter Rockwell was a gunslinger and he was apparently a like really good shot. He had met Joseph Smith as a teen and he actually had done like farming work, random manual labor to help pay for the publishing of the Book of Mormon. So he was the youngest at the time to have been baptized into the church. He was like 16, I think. Interesting. So they weren't doing it to people's children? I don't know if there was like a rule against it. There's something in the church that kind of changes where at first it was like, kids are not guilty of sin before whatever age. But now it's like at the age of eight, you as a child are expected to behave like an adult because now you're, you can be guilty of sin. Huh. Porter Rockwell was, like I said, the muscle. He was the bodyguard. He was also a real loose cannon. Like if there was a buddy cop movie, both people would be awful. But Joe Smith would be like the the one that's pulled together and measured in his response. And Porter Rockwell would be like driving cars off of bridges. <laughs> Fuck it! <laughs> like, we're <woo-hoo>, Mormons! <laughs> His epitaph after he died read, he was brave and loyal to his faith, true to the prophet Joseph Smith, a promise made him by the prophet. Through obedience, it was fulfilled. Rockwell was the only person to ever receive a direct revelation from Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith said, if you follow me, you're going to be just fine, bruh. So apparently Rockwell had killed a lot of guys as a gunfighter. Oh, and he told a crowd listening to the United States Vice President Schuler Colfax in 1869, I never killed anyone who didn't need killing. And that was actually <laughs> a quote later used by actor John Wayne in a movie. He is like what you think of when you think of Wild West. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Just crazy. <laughs> Wild West, but in Ohio, right? Wild West, but in Ohio. But then he later went West, so it kind of makes sense. After he published the Book of Mormon, I said that he had this vision of a new Zion. And the new Zion was initially just going to be Jackson, Missouri. And then he said, oh, wait, Kirtland's kind of nice. And when he actually was passing through Kirtland to get to Jackson County, Missouri, he met a man named Sidney Rigdon. He was like a, a revivalist. And he was known for his amazing oratory skills. Like he would have people swooning and crying and like laughing all in like 10 minutes. Sounds manic and weird, but whatever. And like, ooh, you're like weird. (laughs) It's too many emotions in five minutes. Like let's take our pills. (laughs) The majority of the early church was his followers who converted to Mormonism. So he brought all of his followers into Mormonism. And I think he he almost did it under the impression that he was going to be like a second in line. Like he was going to be able to make his own revelations and he was going to be able to say his own things. That is not what Joe wanted. 
Okay, so Sidney Rigdon, he brought the majority of the original congregants and they all lived in Ohio. I don't know if it was Sidney Rigdon or if it was like a different church. They had been practicing this kind of communal living thing where like nobody was poor, nobody was hungry. They shared all of their belongings. It was idyllic. So Joe was like, I don't like being poor. I need a place to live. I need food. So I am going to see if I can make this work for me. So the early Mormon church, it wasn't forced, but it was strongly suggested that if you wanted to be a good Mormon, you'd give all of your belongings to the church and it would be divvied up among people so that nobody would be poor. Nobody would be destitute. It would be like a heaven on earth. That kind of worked for a little bit, but a lot of people had issues with it. I don't want to have everything that I've worked for. I don't want to have my farm and everything else just like divvied up among people. Like, I also don't want anyone to be poor, but like, it's not my fault that you moved across the country and now you need a farm. Yeah, totally. That doesn't work for me. It ended up being like anything extra that people made from whatever they were doing, like merchants or whatever, was given to the church so that the church could then divvy it up among people who needed it. There's nothing to be unhappy about with that, but that also kind of leans into what would happen later, which is people who did not have the support of the Mormons and who who were non-Mormons, that seems like very threatening. Like they're on their own doing their farming, trying to survive, and then all of these people People have gathered together and said, we're all going to be successful as a group. So that's a lot of power for like 10,000 people to have, right? Yeah. This was really threatening to the people around them, like this kind of system where like we're all in it for each other. We don't necessarily want beef with the non-Mormons, but we're also not really going to help them. We're going to make sure that our way is like done. Is this what it is in Salt Lake now? Uh, I don't know if it's still to this degree because the LDS faith and the the Mormons have like really taken a beating lately. But the idea of incorporated cities, it's a Mormon tradition. Yeah, I mean, they can't like drink alcohol and stuff there, right? Yeah. So there there are pretty strict limits on um, what you can purchase as far as like alcohol, cigarettes, like that kind of stuff. They will tend to like buy a lot of the businesses and run them through like Mormons. So the Mormons will like own everything in a like particular spot. Yeah. They'll own all the houses. They'll own all the businesses. So it's like for anyone who's non-Mormon to come in and try to be successful, you're probably not going to be. Yeah. That being said, they do have some like blind spots. A Mormon probably is going to still want to go to Walmart. Walmart isn't Mormon owned. So it's not like they're not shopping from other places because they've set themselves up to be pretty independent and not necessarily have to deal with outsiders. Yeah. That does seem very threatening to people, especially in this time when, you know, the the United States was like pretty new and there was a lot of places that weren't considered United States territory at the time or were just so new in the United States territory that things were still kind of up in the air. Like at this time, banking wasn't like a federally regulated system. So one of the first things that they did beyond just like saying communal property and like trying to get people to take care of each other, i.e. take care of Joseph, was to um, create what they called the anti-bank, the Kirtland Anti-Banking Society. What? Okay, so this seems shady as shit, but it's really not. It was pretty common at the time because there was no like federally recognized banking system. There were no regulations for it. It was apparently pretty normal for people to print their own money. 
but usually you'd have some capital to back it up and yeah. you'd be able to say like, we can only print this amount of money. They didn't really follow those kinds of rules at the anti-bank. They printed out money and they printed out more than they could cover. And uh, it folded pretty quickly through a combination of issues. One being that Joe just owed a lot of people. He was trying mm-hmm. to start this new town in Kirtland. There were a lot of immigrants coming through that were poor moving to Kirtland, but that were Mormon believers. So obviously he wants to welcome them in. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of people who need loans. So he's going out loaning money. He's printing his own money. And he does have like a little bit of capital. I think Martin Harris was still putting in some of his funds to like get all of this started. Yeah, he just didn't have enough to back it up. And then there was like some sort of banking crisis that happened around the same time that ended up just wiping them out. Yeah, I mean, isn't that like essentially what's going on now? Like, do we even have backing our money? Like, it doesn't seem like it. (laughs) So there are a lot more federal regulations to be a bank now in the United States. But at the time, there was like nothing. It really was like playing fast and loose with people's money. And it wasn't entirely his or the anti-bank's fault that it folded. It was just kind of like the wrong time to be doing that kind of shit. Joe was introduced to some new congregants, and that was Samuel and Clarissa Alger. And they had some kids, one of whom being a Fanny Alger. Fanny would become a sort of like housekeeper servant for the Smiths, and she went on to live in their home while she did this. So at the time. You know, Emma Smith was, I think, at this point pregnant, so she she needed help. You know, Fanny came in and, and she became a, a really important part of the family. Her and Joe seemed to click and Emma didn't think anything of it. She was like, this is like a kid. But many years later, it would become obvious that they had been having an affair for like a very long time. And I say affair, not to dismiss the fact that she was too young to be saying yes to any grown man. But like she became one of his first wives. First additional wife. Yeah, the first plural wife. Or people think she was one of, if not the first plural wife. There's like no official paperwork on this because at the time it wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to put this on paper and make sure everybody knows. It was like still hidden because, you know, plural marriage or polygamy was deeply upsetting to everybody, including the people in the church at the time. So (laughs) nobody knew about it. She was just like a normal young girl. And many years later, early acquaintances would say she was very nice and comely young woman toward whom everyone seemed partial for the amiability of her character. So she was just like, she was nice. She was a nice girl. She was pretty. She was nice to talk to. Yeah. So in April 30th of 1831, Emma would give birth to twins. And it was a, a boy and a girl, Thaddeus and Louisa, but they both died within hours. Oh my God. And this woman has given or had given birth to so many children over the years that just did not make it. So this poor woman. Just because it was like the olden days. Because it was the olden days. And also she was like constantly stressed. How can you carry a, a pregnancy to term with a healthy baby if you're constantly moving around and like in fear for your life? So even though at the time things seemed to be like getting on track, there was still a lot of economic distress. Like she still was worried about her husband because he was still pissing people off. He was making like weird, risky decisions and she couldn't really say anything. She didn't have any contact with her family. So he had completely like managed to isolate her. All she had was him and the Mormons. And that's not to say that she's completely innocent in this, but I do think that at least at first she was just kind of a bystander to what her husband was doing. 
And she didn't really have much of a choice. Like she believed in him and she loved him, but she didn't really have much of a choice in what happened at first. Yeah. Um, So her twins die quickly after birth, but there was another woman who had been giving birth to twins also, a boy and a girl, and she died giving birth. So she just took the babies? Wow. Yeah. So the the father said, I can't raise these kids. I, I have to work. I can't do anything. So he gave the kids to her and she ended up raising them as her children. So that's the first Joseph and Julia. There would be at least two Josephs. So when the twins were nine days old, she, so got she didn't them. rename the kids her kids' names. Okay, no, they were good. already named. <laughs> good. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, because that would have been fucked up. So Joseph was just a really popular name. The kid wasn't named after Joseph Smith. It's just a common name at the time. Converts were still pouring into Kirtland and many of them expected the Millennium Kingdom, Jesus's recoming and them like owning everything to be inevitable. Like it was going to happen just any day now. He had previously led a mission to proselytize to the natives of the area. Did not go well. He was essentially saying, look, you're Jews. You're our people. (laughs) They were like, look, fuck off. No, thank you. Some of the things that he was trying to tell them, it seemed almost like he was trying to help them and trying to say, like, I support you. I want you to have your own land. But it was like a very tricky situation because he was saying all of this land belongs to you, which it does. And he was saying you deserve to have the land that you grew up on, which they did. But it was Mm -hmm. also your Mormons because we all share everything. When you get your land back, we get our land. You're Jews. We're all Jews. Let's have the land. So it was like a really tricky situation. And he often like walked that line. Like he would say, Native Americans deserve their land. They deserve their rights. We should protect their lands. But also the Native Americans are like early Mormons and we like share everything. So like, can we have your land too? So it was never really about the people he was trying to help. Yeah. It was always shrouded in a kind of deceptive philanthropy. Philanthropy. Yeah. Oh my God, I really haven't spoken. Philanthropy. I'm a philanthropist. There was a quote from It's Always Sunny. I'm a full on rapist. What did you just say? You know, kids, elderly, <laughs> disabilities. Like, do you mean philanthropist? Yeah, yeah. It gets mixed up in my words and my mouth doesn't do it no good. Like, oh my God. That's what I think of now that I have said that. I pronounced it like a dipshit. So yeah, it was like a shady philanthropy where it's like, I want you to have what you want to have, but then I want you to give it to me also. Yeah, manipulative. Yeah, very manipulative. And then we've also talked about like earlier that there was this idea that as people came back to the faith, they would become, and I quote, white and delightsome. And that's not to say pure and delightsome. That's like literally they would become like white people their skin would lighten. And people fully believed that to the point that natives weren't allowed to hold priesthood. Blacks weren't allowed to hold priesthood until like the 70s. Wow. The blacks were the sons of Canaan or they were Canaanites. And Native Americans were Nehites, Nephites. I can't remember. It's like the bad people. Yeah. There were the Lehi's and the Nephi's and and they were the, the bad ones. The bad ones got the dark skin. That was the curse of the dark skin. (laughs) They're like Mormon, just keep looking like it's not working. I've been like coming to your church for two years and I'm still not white. Natives were like, we're, we're not interested in what you're selling, bruh. 
Wait, I'm sorry, but is that the whole like this land is your land, this land is my land? It kind of is. I mean, that's the whole idea behind like manifest destiny. Yeah. People had to find a reason that like we were supposed to come here and kill everybody. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Got it. No, now we're cool. <laughs> we're cool, guys. I figured out why this is okay. <laughs> I know it's already done and it's too late to think about it, but like I figured it out. Don't worry about it. No guilt. It's fine. Cowdery had talked to him about like some areas in Missouri that were worth looking into. And Jackson County seemed to be the best one. Now, when they were moving to Ohio, he had already sent people ahead of him to like stake out claims. So there were people already in Missouri who were poor and destitute and just trying to get by who were just like holding land for the Mormons for when they would come to create New Zion. So he's like between two cities at this point, right? He's like doing the Ohio thing, but he's still got some people in Missouri. And so he's like trying to build up the Missouri branch of of his faith. When Mormons began to settle in this one particular area, Jackson County, they had been like a couple of areas, but Jackson County was like determined to be the place. So this is not Kirtland. This is Missouri. When people had been starting to settle there, very quickly, non-Mormons were like, I do not like this. Yeah. There are too many people. They're all banding together. They're all block voting, which was like a really big deal. And they had some upsetting beliefs. The things that really struck the non-Mormons were if the Mormons were righteous, they would inherit the land held by others. <laughs> not cool to go to your neighbor and to be like, look, I'm good with God. So pretty soon your farm's my farm. Non-Mormons were like Protestants? Protestants, Presbyterians, like Campbellites. There was also like some Catholicism still. It wasn't as popular in the early days, but it existed. Their economic cohesion, so like them banding together and gathering their funds and their resources was deeply upsetting to the local economies because they wouldn't shop at local merchants because they were all supplying each other. So they were coming in, taking the land and like not giving back. They continued to proselytize to Native Americans and they were kind of drumming up, you know, these people aren't your people and they they still want to take your land. And the tensions between natives and non-natives were still very high for very obvious reasons. Then most Mormon immigrants to Missouri were from free man states. So states that did not support slavery and slavery was still a thing in Missouri at the time. So they were like, oh, you are fully upsetting our entire way of life, our economy, everything. They were not about that. The Mormons were not about slaves. No. So the Mormon communities had been at odds with the non-Mormons. The non-Mormons were like, you cannot constantly just squat on land and hoard everything. We want you out. Like, not a cool thing to do to human beings, but, like, also you can kind of understand where they're coming from. For sure. But you can also understand where the Mormons are coming from. They're like, I'm trying to live. You can't just, like, toss me off of this place that I've built up. So on 1832, to prove a point, a mob of non-Mormons dragged Joseph and I want to say it was Hiram and maybe even Sydney. They they dragged them from their homes. They ripped young Joseph, the child, out of Joseph's arms. They put him on the bed, but he was a baby, so he fell off the bed. And they forced all of the f- other family members to get out of the house or they were going to like murder Emma and the kids and everything. Oh my God. Yeah. They dragged off Joseph and he was beaten within an inch of his life. He was tarred and feathered and he like essentially just crawled home. Tarred and feathered? That's yeah. 
crazy. That's like a thing. That's like an actual thing. So when people hear tart and feathered, you just think of like getting some like gloopy stuff on you and like having feathers on you. And it's more of a nuisance, but tar is hot. Yeah. For it to be tar, it has to be hot. He suffered from extreme burns and they had to scrape the tar off of him, which like is also irritating. Not only that, but because of the way that they had to flee the house, they weren't able to get young Joseph, the child, out of the house. So he actually succumbed to pneumonia five days later. He was in the house for five days? No. So he was in the house for like a few hours. They came back to get him. But but by that point, he had already Uh, suffered the cold for too long and he was a baby. Oh, that's so sad. It's horrible. My first thought though, I'm like, how did he live for five days without eating? (laughs) (laughs) He was a miracle baby. But that's kind of the, the type of initial mob violence that people were showing against all of the Mormons. So it quickly became, it's either us or them. Mm-hmm. We're never going to let this happen again. We're, we're not going to let people destroy our faith and our community. What are we going to do about it? God, the olden days were weird. It's really not that different today, I don't think. I think there's less of a sense of community and like we're not all talking to our neighbors and saying like, you know, Joe down the street is a fucking lunatic. Let's tar and feather him. But I think if we were still talking to each other, we might incite each other a little bit more to do crazy shit. Yeah, we have squatters that live two blocks away from us. They like all moved into a house and they've actually been renovating the house, which is very interesting to me. Like the house looks a lot better. So squatters rights, I hope they get it. Yeah, well, the guy is like violent to the neighbors Mm. is the problem because I saw it on next door and I'm like, I don't know, the house looks good. Like I like walking by it and it looking better now. You know, and they're like, no, he's mean. And nobody's like rallying together to do anything about it. Everybody's just like gossiping. Usually when people are squatters, they're not like, I'm not going to fuck with anyone because I don't want to have like a legal reason for them to take me out of this space. I'm just going to like renovate it and say, you weren't using it. It's not fair for you to hoard property. Well, and this bank, this house has like been owned by the bank or something for years. And oh, like, well then fuck that bank. Nobody cares. Right. That's how I felt about it too. Who but then cares? I, I guess he burns plastic in the backyard. Oh, well, that's not good. Yeah. But I guess my point is like, we're all talking about it. And this is just like a thing I think about the modern age or whatever. It's like, we all talk about stuff, but like nobody is going and doing anything. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like storming the Capitol, like they went and did something. If he wasn't just burning plastic, if he was like burning people's cars and shit, it might get a little bit weirder. With a big log and we all like hit the door. (laughs) Yeah, you'd like tar and feather him. You're like, I don't have any tar. I brought this olive oil. (laughs) (laughs) It's really slippery. Soft feathers. (laughs) I didn't bring any feathers, but I have like this uh, pillow. It has the foam inside of it. It gets everywhere. I have packing peanuts. But yeah, so that happened and he wasn't exactly deterred, but he did start going between Missouri and Kirtland a little bit more often at that point. So in 1833 was his first, not on paper, but first cooperated plural marriage of Fanny Alger. Apparently, a lot of people differ as to whether this was like an actual marriage or just an affair. Mm -hmm. I feel like for Joe, sometimes it was, I don't want to be wrong. So let's call this a marriage. Yeah. I sure do like sleeping with (laughs) you. So we're married now. And he did do the thing where he he would say to people he was attracted to, like, the Lord has told me he's going to kill me if I do not take you as a plural wife. Oh, my gosh. 
And I think a lot of people say that he practiced plural marriage with Fanny Alger as a way to justify the fact that he was just like having sex with a teenage girl. And now it's an important part of their religion, isn't it? So it was almost fully criticized by Mormon followers, except for the people at the top. Now, the people at the top who ended up carrying over the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, like the FLDS that all moved to Utah, Brigham mm-hmm. Young's like troop or whatever, they all practice polygamy, but it's because Brigham Young took over and he was like, I'm not fucking around anymore. This is what we do. But most Mormons did not agree with it. Wow. And there are so many different branches of Mormons. A lot of people who were like, we agree with the Joseph Smith prophet stuff, but we don't agree with the polygamy. Or we agree that whoever is labeled as the prophet can say whatever the fuck he wants. We love it. We want to take wives, like whatever. And that would be like the fundamentalists. And then there are some who are like, Joseph Smith was a sincere fraud. He thought what he was saying was right, but it wasn't right. But like there's truth to it. Yeah, I feel like it's true for several different religions. Like at the start, it was like kind of weird. <laughs> Every up. religion has this. Yeah. All of them have their weird fringe faiths and weird beliefs that their other sex will be like, no. Mm-hmm. We like to be approachable and that's not approachable. Yeah. <laughs> Alger never admitted to anything. It was kind of clear that it was a thing that happened, but she said that is all a matter of my own and I have nothing to communicate. So she was pretty quickly after everyone found out about what was happening and specifically after Oliver Cowdery had caught them together and Emma had already known and she was like embarrassed and and humiliated and she actually made Fanny leave the house. She was so fucking mad. Yeah. As well, she should be. Like, I feel like you shouldn't punish a teen girl for that. But like still, her whole family moved to a different state. She was quickly married off so that nobody could really say anything about it. Wow. Yeah. And she she pretty much took like all the secrets to the grave. Nobody really knew anything about it. Like we have some evidence that Emma tried to help her get out of the situation by, you know, setting her up with someone and like helping the the algers move. There's nothing on paper. Yeah. Mormons in Missouri were still having a really hard time. They were driven out of Jackson County by a mob in 1833, and they resettled in Clay County, which is not that far. But some of them had resettled in other places, too. And that's where their, like, new Zion was. At the time, the non-Mormons would use a pattern that would be repeated a few times until the Mormons finally just left. They would sign demands for Mormons to leave. They would next take the contracts and a gun to the Mormon leaders, Mm -hmm. and they would try to get them to abandon the county before spring planting. So they knew that people were planting in the spring. They probably weren't going to leave. So they would try to get all of this done before spring came. How interesting. What a different time to consider that kind of stuff. So because of the nature of government at that time, there were state laws that governors could enact to protect citizens, but it really was city to city, county to county. There was like a lot of hoops to jump through to get that kind of protection from, at the time, militia, because there weren't police officers. It was militiamen. And militias at the time were not super organized. So the other thing that they would do is they would destroy their property and they would like just try to scare them. But these people weren't leaving. Joe started to move away from pacifism. And he was like, look, I've always said turn the other cheek. Now I'm saying if they've hit us three times, which they had at that point, we're going to hit back now. I think that that's totally fucking fair. Me too. Also, like I can understand how people could take that a little too far. 
In August 1833, Smith recorded a revelation that stated, And now verily I say unto you concerning the laws of the land, it is my will that my people should observe all things whatsoever I command them. And that law of the land, which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom and maintaining rights and privileges, belongs to all mankind and is justifiable before me. Therefore, I, the Lord, justify you and your brethren of my church in befriending that law, which is the constitutional law of the land. To the law of man whatsoever is more or less than this cometh of evil. So he's saying, if it's not Mormons can do whatever they want and they're going to be protected, then it's evil and we should rail against it. So Joseph started to get his own militia together. And this was like the first of a few militias. He called it Zion's camp and he was going to redeem Zion. So he gathered people from Kirtland and he said, we are marching to Kirtland. We are going to take back our land. We are going to stop people from harassing our followers and we are going to protect our own. It didn't work out well for them because they were not well prepared and there was an outbreak of cholera. But yeah. that kind of set the the tone of what would later be their militia forces, which would go on to become one of the largest armed militias in the United States. Zion's camp would kind of turn into the, the Danites. They were also described as the armies of Israel. They were described as the destroying angels. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. So it's essentially like a secret society that Joseph Smith never copped to knowing all the ins and outs. He described himself as a general, but then also said, I didn't know all that other shit they were doing, which is possible, <laughs> but unlikely because people were kind of following his commands. So yeah, the, the Danites would later go on to do some really fucked up shit in retaliation. One of the most interesting things that kind of started in this era, but was really popularized later after Joseph's death was called the Whittling and Whistling Brigade. They hired a bunch of like younger boys, but I get the impression that there were like some grown men in there and they would take a big Bowie knife and do this. And anyone who came into their part of town who was like an outsider, they would just whistle and whittle and like flick this knife at them. And it wasn't like they were doing anything particularly mean or aggressive, but it was a little terrifying to have people surround you with a knife doing this, right? Yeah. Like that's a little scary. Really scary. <laughs> what are you going to do with that knife? So the Mormons ended up filing petitions and lawsuits and that really didn't help them all that much. Non-Mormons in Jackson refused to allow the Mormons to return and reimbursement for confiscated and damaged property was refused. So they continued to relocate and settle in Clay County and really make that their place. Yeah. Tensions rose, though, because there were a lot of people coming through. Not just Mormons, or you mean there was a lot of Mormons? A lot of Mormons coming in and buying lands. So they started kind of trying to populate also Caldwell County and parts of Ray and Davies County. So they were really spreading and kind of taking over, which obviously will make a lot of people uncomfortable. Also, mm -hmm. with the failing of the, the Kirtland Anti-Bank, they were then making, instead of Kirtland being their headquarters, they were going to make Caldwell County their headquarters. So they were moving everything over, which would mean more people. Why would there so many of them? Well, so this whole time, and, and this is a common thing among Mormons now, like when you are 19, you are told that you have to go on a mission trip to proselytize to people in other countries or other states. And you do that for two years. This had already been started with his followers and his elders from the beginning. So people were going to Canada. People were going to England. People were going to Mexico. They yeah. were going all over the place and proselytizing and people were moving to 
where they were because that was the Holy Land. Yeah. So they were bringing people in actively. And there were a lot of immigrants at that time coming in just to be Mormons. At this time, around like 1835, he published the Doctrine and Covenant which is described by the church as containing revelations given to Joseph Smith, the prophet, with some additions by his successors in the presidency of the church. It added a lot of stuff. So there was a statement of marriage, and this was after Fanny Alger. that basically said, you have one wife. If your husband dies or if your wife dies, then you can marry, but you can't marry anything outside of that. So Joseph was always doing this thing where he would get in trouble for something, and then he would say, I can't get in trouble with it. I wrote the law. God told me I wouldn't have written it down if I had been doing it. At this time, like I said, Oliver Cowdery had found out about him and Fanny and he had actually walked in on them. And he described it as a dirty, filthy little affair. (laughs) He was apparently just repulsed by it. And he had, I think at this time, written back to either his brother or something like that and been like, oh my God, you will never believe. So he was already starting to kind of make a little noise. And Joseph started to pull away from him. Whereas Oliver Cowdery had been almost an unofficial prophet, like someone that was trusted and someone who, although he wasn't going to be called a prophet, was like still basically setting up some laws and and figuring things out. He was like the planner. Now he was like starting to be a little bit more of a, a nuisance for Joseph. Because he was like calling him out on his bullshit. Because he's like, dude, you're fucking up. He still believed in Mormonism, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't as enthralled with Joe. And you'll see a pattern with Joe where if someone starts to not kiss his ass anymore, they're pretty soon going to be excommunicated. Yeah. So the other thing that happens is when someone has fucked up, but they are still in like good standing with Joe, he'll say, look, guy, I'm going to excommunicate you. Going to be about a month. Then I'm going to say, hey, the Lord said, forgive the man. He's my he's my helper. And then you're going to come right back. So, yeah, it was like one of two things. It was either you're excommunicated because like you're saying some shit about me that I don't want anybody to know or you're excommunicated. But, dude, don't worry about it. It's like temporary. We're still bros. I just got to do this for like show. I need space. Like I said, he had been sending people to England. Lots of people were coming in from England He was steadily working on building the first Mormon temple in Kirtland, Ohio, and it was finished around 1836. Apparently, to make sure that this event was like really good, he's like, look, guys, I need this to go off without a hitch. You are going to have to come here to be baptized if you want to redeem Zion. RSVP, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So fucking smart. At the time, all of the money was being sunk into the building of the temple. The antitrust was not doing well. It was about to fold. And then when it folded, there was like a lot of dissent. A lot of Mormons felt like they had been cheated. A lot of Mormons felt like they had followed a fool. Mm. There was kind of a, a fissure at that point in the Mormon church. Some people were like, no, dude, this is not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go off and form my own church because you fucking suck now. Oliver Cowdery at this time was essentially going to be excommunicated. The best statement Smith could obtain from Cowdery was an affirmation that Smith had never acknowledged himself to have been guilty of adultery. (laughs) Cowdery said, like, Smith never said he was guilty of adultery. That doesn't mean that he did not do what (laughs) I said he did. (laughs) When I asked him, he said no. So (laughs) I said, hey, you were having sex with that young lady are you an adulterer? And he said, no. 
I'm not. And I said, I'm confused. And he said, no, it's all good, bruh. Right. After Cowdery was excommunicated because he seemed to insinuate that Smith was guilty of adultery, basically they determined that they needed to form a militia. And that's when the Danites came in. Wait, like, this guy said something mean about us. We better be prepared to kill others. Already, non-Mormons were like, we don't fucking like you. Your prophet's weird. Like, all of this is fucked up. And now it's like, oh, and you're an adulterer. You suck. There would be a couple of different variations of this throughout, you know, the history of the Mormon church. And Joe seemed to at once, like, say that they were sanctioned and and doing what they had to do to protect the Mormon faith and the Mormon people and the Mormon property. But at the same time, he also later labeled them a secret combination, which essentially means that they were fighting for the devil instead of God. Because when they ended up doing shit that was clearly fucked up to everybody who, you know, had eyes and could think, (laughs) then he was like, oh, no, 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 but Satan did this one. I put it together, but like Satan took over that part. That wasn't me. Oh my God. And everyone's just like, nice. Yes. Like that has, that it has to be documents like this that that guy found, you know, who was murdered. There's a lot of fucked up shit that people have found. That guy like would trace like stamps and stuff. Like he'd find old letters in places and then like hunt down people and then like find their letters. The Mormon church, God help them, bless their little hearts, has gone on an almost like, we're going to go ahead and just give you all the information that you're looking for. They've decided to just release all of Joseph Smith's letters, all of the meeting minutes and everything because they're like, we're going to get ahead of it. I get it. And we're going to explain what's going on here. But the majority of what they're releasing is still so fucked up that it's like, how can you get ahead of it? It's still fucked. You're releasing the information and you're explaining it historically, but it's still like, wow, you just said some fucked up shit. Around 1838, Sidney Rigdon would give what is known as the Salt Sermon. He said dissenters, including people like Oliver Cowdery at this point, I think David Whitmer was out. I think Martin Harris was out. The dissenters were like salt that had lost its savor. He went on to state that the dissenters would be trodden under the foot of men. And someone had said that although Rigdon didn't give names in the sermon, everybody was like, I know who you're talking about. That sermon had a really strong effect on giving people the idea that it was going to be totally permissible to fuck hard with non-Mormons because they had been taking shit for just so long. Yeah. So on the 4th of July... Sydney basically gave another sermon as he is wont to do. And he said, don't start none, won't be none. And he basically said, we're going to start protecting ourselves with force. Like we're going to exterminate those who would exterminate us. This is when Samson Averd started to like really escalate the Danite militia and started to actively fuck with people in the name of self-defense. You can't really call it self-defense if someone didn't start something immediately before, if it was like years before that they started some shit that doesn't really work, but whatever. Later on, of course, Joe would be like, I don't know about any of this. I don't know why they did it. I would never say to burn people's property and to make them leave at gunpoint and to harass them and keep them up all night and like, you know, torture them essentially. But one of the things that the early Danite groups agreed to was to support the head of the church in all things that they say or do, whether right or wrong. So there was a letter to some principal dissenters, which would be like Oliver, David, John Whitmer, William Wines Phelps, and Lyman E. Johnson. And the letter basically said, if you ain't out within 24 hours, we're taking everything, we're burning your shit down. 
we will come for you. Damn. What year is this? 1838. Okay. So it's still like that stuff. Yeah. It's still like all the same stuff, but now they're turning to the people who are coming out and saying like, Joe is wrong. Yeah. I'm a Mormon, but I'm not Joe's Mormon. Yeah, exactly. Part of the reason that non-Mormons did not like the Mormons was because they voted in blocks. Joe would say, we vote for this person. And every Mormon would go and vote for the same person. So that's part of how he curried favor with local politicians is they would want to please him because the Mormons were a pretty big group at that time. What would end up happening is they would drown out the votes of non-Mormons. Yeah. Because the local politicians were trying so hard to please Mormons, they were not listening to the other constituents. Mm -hmm. And this pissed people off, obviously. So there was the Gallatin County Election Day battle where a lot of non-Mormons tried to stop Mormons from voting and 20 people would end up dead. Oh, wow. Three days later, 17 Mormons were murdered by some soldiers in Shoal Creek. This kind of set off like a whole big thing where it was like, oh shit, now we're actually going to start a war. There was in 1838, the Missouri Mormon War. And this is what culminated. Wow, I've never in- heard about this. Smith had relocated to Missouri fully by that time, especially after the tarring and feathering. He and Emma had decided to relocate. So she was just barely there. I think she might have even been pregnant again. And they were about to like start a war. Poor lady. This is when the state governor for Missouri, Lilburn. L-I-L space. Lil Burns. (laughs) Lilburn Boggs was like, okay, we got to get rid of these Mormons. It's going to end in lots of bloodshed if we don't get them to evacuate. He fully called out for a militia to remove Mormons from the area. And he didn't necessarily say like, oh, they still need to be alive when they leave. So it was very clear to everybody that both sides were armed and ready. After learning about the state involvement trying to get Mormons out, the Mormon forces surrendered because they were like, oh, we are not ready for this kind of war. We're not exactly ready to battle a a fully armed state militia because they weren't like that big at the time. Joseph and Hiram Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and a couple of other heads of the Mormon church turned themselves in. They're like, we'll just turn ourselves in. And they ended up being in jail for about four months pending the trial for an assassination attempt on the governor of Missouri because he wow. he had an assassination attempt. So crazy. Everyone's just like, we're at, we're at war now. So apparently Sidney Rigdon, I guess he had had some sort of head injury when he was little. So he was already kind of loopy. Like I said, he was a he was a very skilled orator. But part of what he did was to faint and to like speak in tongues and to act crazy. And when he was excited or anxious, like he had facial tics, a, a neurological injury. So in jail, he started to look extra special crazy. So wow. he was able to get out of jail on bail because he said, like, I'm I'm not responsible for what I did. I'm crazy. But apparently there were some people who were sympathetic to Joseph and Hiram because the people at the, the jail were not treating them well. So when they were going to be moved to a different prison, the jailers just let them escape. Wow. Joseph and Hiram ended up escaping and he actually ended up pretty much immediately going to Washington to try to get people to help 
with the Mormon situation. But about 10,000 Mormons would end up moving to Illinois to form Nauvoo before that. Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Yeah, nobody was out here, right? Not yet. After his escape from prison, like I said, he went to Washington, D.C. He actually got a meeting with Martin Van Buren and he was like, I need your help. I demand $100,000 for, you know, restitution for like my damaged property and like his own personal damaged property, not like the property of the Mormons. He was like, I want, you know, reparations for them too. But like, this is for my part. And Martin Van Buren said, what can I do? I can do nothing for you. And he just like sent him away. (laughs) He's like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not giving you $100,000. That's crazy. That's so much money. That's so much money. It's a lot of money now to just like (laughs) demand that of the fucking president, the balls on this guy. Oh, what a different time. Just like, I'm going going to have a meeting with the president. I'm bringing my pillow and my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like today, if that happened, it'd be like, no. It literally did happen, though. Remember, right when Trump was about to leave office, the MyPillow guy came in with like his notes and his notes were facing out and you saw martial law as one of like the points. Like you had to remember that. You had to be like prompted to remember that. Are you stupid? Oh, wait. Yes, you are. I like live under a rock. I just like stopped reading the news a few months ago because I was just like, I'm done. It's like an Onion article that never ends. (laughs) Right? No, I was like, I can't. I can't. But now I like don't know anything about what's going on. That's fine. It's probably for the best. Right? (laughs) My mental health. It's not changing. After Washington, D.C., he went to join his family in Illinois. So Emma was already there. A lot of people from Missouri and some people from Ohio were already there. Some people stayed behind and still continued their own version of the church because they didn't agree with Joseph anymore. But a lot of people came. So they ended up purchasing a town called Commerce and they renamed it to Nauvoo, which apparently he thought was the Hebrew word for beautiful city. I think it just means beloved. I wish I could help you with the Hebrew, but... I didn't go to Hebrew schools. What is your excuse? Shohan is table. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) You are the resident Jewish person on this podcast. If I don't have your like knowledge of Hebrew tradition, I don't know what the point is. Our house (laughs) blow dries his hair up. And I, last night I was like, do you blow dry your hair? And he's like, yeah, I do. Like if I don't, it's a Jufro. And I was like, I'm Jewish and I'm offended. And he like, honestly was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm like 100% joking. Like, oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like, I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. People are just so sensitive and concerned. I think these days. Yeah. And I think it's fair. I think it's fair to like, I never want to hurt somebody's feelings, especially if I'm making a fucking joke. Like that's the totally. antithesis of a joke is to hurt I somebody's know, I feelings. Because I just met him like two days ago. Like he doesn't know me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. This is sorry, my sense of humor. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a real see you next Tuesday sometimes. Straight up. Just don't call me one or I'll kill you. Better not. They purchased Nauvoo. They called it Nauvoo. And around this time, he actually meets John C. Bennett. He's a train wreck of an individual, very intelligent. He's a physician. He has lived all over the place. And he starts writing pretty early on because he's heard about like the Mormon War and all of that shit. And he's like, dudes, I want to help you. I love you guys. What's up? Let me know what's going on with you. Are you guys okay? Can I help? He writes a few times to both Joe and Sydney, And finally, he's like, hey, I get it you're busy. You can't write back. I'm coming to your place. He just fucking shows up. He just shows up at Joe's house. And I think he actually lived there for like a couple of years. 
he quickly becomes close friends with Joe because Joe will become friends, very close friends and confidants with anyone who kisses his ass and loves him. Mm -hmm. And John is the type of man who sees an opportunity and he's like, I'm in. Yeah. Prophet needs a helper. I need something to do. (laughs) He had already been kicked out of the Freemasons for being a seedy guy. And he had been separated from his wife. They didn't get divorced. He was still technically married. But he had been separated from his wife from having numerous affairs. So many affairs. This was just like a match made in heaven. Perfect for a bromance, right? He could do pretty much anything. He was a physician, a minister, a poultry breeder. Uh, He actually was very interested in starting universities. And he did start a few universities. Most of them were considered diploma mills. He wanted his hands in all the pies. He was also an ex-soldier and he was a general. So he actually helped Joe write the town charter for Nauvoo. And it was essentially like a copy paste job from the Springfield, Illinois thing, but with a few very special twists. One of them being that they actually wrote in a law of habeas corpus. So habeas corpus is, it is your right to be brought in front of a secondary judge and or jury before you are taken by like armed forces. People want to make sure that there's more than one person making the decision on whether or not somebody gets jailed, right? Yeah. Pretty fucking important. But usually this law is covered by state and federal jurisdiction. It's not written into individual town laws. It allowed for any sort of shenanigans that Joe got into where he was going to be arrested by state or federal armed forces. He was brought into his own municipal court system to have them preside over the hearing, which means that he could essentially get away with anything. Mm -hmm. So it was a really fucking smart thing that John C. Bennett did. At that point, John C. Bennett was the first mayor of Nauvoo. I think he was the head of the municipal court system. And he was a general of the militia that was founded in Nauvoo. And then he also became a priest. (laughs) It's like a hat trick. I'm not sure how it happened. So the Nauvoo Legion was formed almost immediately. Joe is like, I'm not doing this shit again with these fucking people. I'm going to be protected right off the bat. Smith and Bennett are like, we're going to band with the Whigs and the Democrats, and we're going to make sure that we have them on our side. And even Abraham Lincoln helped to get the act ratified that they could have their, their own militia. Wow. They were given the authority to create a body of independent military men. It was a militia that was similar to the Illinois State Militia, and it became known as Nauvoo Legion. At its peak, the militia had, by conservative estimates, at least 2,500 troops in comparison to the approximately 8,500 troops within the entire United States Army as of 1845. It was an absolutely insane militia, like nothing anyone had ever seen before. And I think it was probably one of the largest militias ever in U.S. history, if I remember correctly. So the Legion was organized into two regiments called cohorts of infantry and one regiment of cavalry. And they had a few light cannons also. And they were not afraid to use them. Yeah, they're like a big deal. They weren't fucking around. They had a lot of local support. At the end of his life, Joe was, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt just from all of his weird shit that he was doing. Yeah. He ended up having a nice little group of people who supported him and who made sure that he was making money. Mm -hmm. So the Legion tended to be pretty top heavy in that there was a disproportionate number of high ranking officers to regular soldiers, but this was supposed supposedly to elevate the social status and official standing of some members of the city. Interesting. 
The charter authorizing the Nauvoo Legion created the independent militia, but it could also be used at the disposal of the state governor. So for everyone involved, it seemed like, oh yeah, this is going to be fine because what could they possibly do? Joseph Smith himself was Nauvoo's second mayor. So Bennett was the first, Joseph was voted the second. I don't know how that vote worked. If he was just like, I'm the mayor now, yay. (laughs) (laughs) He also named himself Lieutenant General, which apparently is a step higher than Major General. The only other Lieutenant General apparently was Washington himself. I didn't know that. Having such confidence. I'm a general now. Okay, I guess. (laughs) And he like put that on his resume. He that was like a a mark of honor. He put on his resume that he was mayor of Nauvoo and that he was a lieutenant general. So it was like a big deal to him. (laughs) Like somebody please make me some medals that I can just start wearing. He was 100 percent a Mr. Doctor. It's so funny. It's like funny, not funny. It's Yeah, it's it's just insane. Around this time, 1841, he would add some special commandments to doctrine and covenants. He decided, rather the Lord decided through him, they needed to build a hotel and that the hotel was to be owned in perpetuity by Joseph Smith and his family just to make sure that his family was taken care of. And I understand that he wanted to make sure that his family had some property, that it wasn't all just like a general hodgepodge of like Mormon property. Yeah. So the Lord said to him, and again, verily I say unto you, I command you again to build a house to my name, even in this place, that you may prove yourself unto me that ye are faithful in all things whatsoever I command you, that I may bless you and crown you with honor, immortality, and eternal life. And now I say unto you, as pertaining to my boarding house, which I have commanded you to build for the boarding of strangers. Let it be built unto my name and let my name be named upon it and let my servant Joseph and his house have a place therein from generation to generation. And people are just like, yeah. Hold on, hold on, it gets better. Behold, verily I say unto you, let my servant George Miller and my servant Lyman White and my servant John Snyder and my servant Peter Hawes organize themselves and appoint one of them to be president over their quorum for the purpose of building that house. And they shall form a constitution whereby they may receive stock for the building of the house. And they shall not receive less than $50 for a share of stock in that house. And they shall be permitted to receive $15,000 from any one man for stock in that house. But they shall not be permitted to receive over for $15,000 stock from any one man. It's like, what? God doesn't need to be involved in this, in the stock options for your hotel. It's fucking ridiculous. It's just over the top. Like, okay, the beginning, okay. Like the house of boarding for strangers. Okay. Right. Like we want to be able to proselytize to lots of different people from around the world. Talking about stocks. (laughs) It's just bonkers. Like. Joe couldn't just say, I think we need to have like some sort of stock option in this because we need to fund the building, but people aren't going to just give money for something that's clearly for profit. So God has to say it. And God across time and space has always spoken like a man from the Tudor era. So around the time that he starts building the Nauvoo house, which is what the hotel would be called, he also started building not only the Mormon temple, but a separate temple for Freemasons. Okay. (laughs) All members of the Mormon faith were expected to participate. To build the hotels? To build everything. Like people were expected to participate because it was a decree of God. And if you weren't participating, did you love God? You think some people were just like, I don't know, man. I have to imagine that some people were like, you can absolutely go fuck yourself. Right? Like they had to have. I'm not building a mansion for you, dude. 
No. Yeah. And like God would have included me in the stocks or, you know, or like whatever. But then you think about like what happened to people like Oliver Cowdery, people who always supported Joe, but then held him to account for his bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And if they were excommunicated and fully censured from all of Mormon life, then it makes sense that nobody would want to say anything. They might be like, I'm not building you a fucking mansion. Okay, I'm building you a fucking mansion, but I'm only doing it because I don't want to lose my family. And it's like, even if you didn't really have a family, but you lived in this Mormon community, being excommunicated, you like would have to start completely over somewhere. When you start to build what is at this point a theocracy, they're not going to let you stay there if you're not Mormon. Yeah. So around all of this time, John C. Bennett, was building his own little thing on the side that people kind of knew about but weren't talking about. And it was fronted as a grocery slash like mercantile. It was very clearly a brothel. Oh my God. He was not the only man who visited the services of the brothel. And in fact, this was not the only brothel in Mormon history. There was a brothel in Salt Lake City as well. No hate on... No, no hate on it at all. But but it's very interesting in regard to religion and... Deeply hypocritical. Yeah. There's no indication to me of the sex workers in the brothel. I don't know if they were Mormon women or if they were women from outside the town. It's probably like a hodgepodge of anyone who wanted to work in that kind of environment. It seems like also (laughs) there is some evidence supporting the idea that Joseph Smith would allow people to have the services of these ladies covered by Joseph Smith and Joseph Smith would then get a little information to hold over people because he was the type of man who would get a little information from every which way and then say, the Lord told me that you've been doing this. Oh, shit. The Lord says that if you want to make up for it, you'll do this for me. You need to build me the house. (laughs) People knew about it. It was like an open secret. But then when someone started writing graffiti on the front of the house, basically saying like, this is a brothel, all of the townspeople were like, I'm not tolerating this shit anymore. It was apparently kind of like a shanty. All they had to do was like push harder enough with enough people and they toss it into the river. (laughs) That's crazy. Around that time, John C. Bennett and Joseph were probably engaging in some like sexual escapades. Sexcapades. In some sexcapades as bros being like, hey, you take this one. I'll take this one. Let's go. This is fun. One of the things that John C. Bennett provided to him was services of abortion. So he would either give medicine that would spontaneously produce a miscarriage or someone reported later in life that he actually had a metal tool that he would use. Oh, no. Yeah. All of this stuff was happening all at the same time. For the women at the brothel? For not just the women at the brothel, but for his plural wives, because he was still finding ladies and taking wives. And And he wasn't trying to have like 90 kids. He he didn't want a whole bunch of children because at this point, it was like a secret among the elite of the church. So some of the other men were taking extra wives at the time as well. But he didn't want it to be like an every man for himself situation. So it was like a a perk of being like one of Joseph's right-hand men. Mm -hmm. So John C. Bennett knew about this. He knew about the extra wives. So he started saying to the people that he wanted to seduce, you're my spiritual wife. And this apparently was where Joseph was like, okay, you've crossed a line. Because when I do it, it's like real wifery. Okay. Like it's not on paper and like my wife doesn't like it and like nobody can know about it, but it's like real when I do it. But when you do it, 
you make me look like a moron because it's clear that you are just having adulterous affairs. But Mm -hmm. what really tipped it over the scales was apparently John C. Bennett wasn't just having sex with women outside of marriage. It became clear that he was asking for sexual favors in order for young military men to advance in rank. Oh, that's slimy. It is totally slimy, but also like he seemed to have like a genuine relationship with one of the young men that climbed the highest. Yeah. He was found like having intercourse with one of these young men. And that's when Joseph Smith was like, listen, I could tolerate the drugs. I could tolerate the abortion. I could tolerate the ladies. Mm -hmm. I could tolerate the fraud. Yeah. What I won't tolerate is someone looking at me like I might be having sex with you. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. It's not like he said that. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, he was just doing all the stuff. And, and Joe was like, I can't keep covering for you, man. Some people say that he kind of excommunicated him as like a, listen, man, I'll bring you back in in a bit. Don't worry about it. He didn't say anything like good about him afterwards. So when John C. Bennett left, he was very sore about the whole thing. He was like, I know what you've been doing. I've been supporting you. I've been helping you. And this is the thanks that I get. You're not even going to correct people. So he ended up writing this like expose about Mormon life. And it is like, guys, my fellow men, you don't understand. Though I have wronged other non-Mormons, you have to understand that I was doing it for a justly and good reason. And it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my whole life. There's like letters from other people. There's like notes from different meetings that he took. It's just so over the top dramatic that you get the impression that this guy is a total fucking sociopath who's just like, I'm going to do whatever I want and this is how I justify it. Right. Justification <laughs> like blew it, blew, made it worse. Yeah. Even so, going so far as to insinuate that he got into the Mormon religion to tear it apart from the inside. Like, that's kind of the vibe that he gives. I needed to know what the Mormons were really up to. So I went in, but oh. I had to pretend to be one of them. Like, I, oh my God. Why is possible? <laughs> like, that does not make you look better, man. You still look bad. He was excommunicated around, what, 1842. And around this time also, Emma was getting really fucking mad. To kind of quiet her for a little bit, she had been given a position of high standing amongst women, at least. And that was to head the Female Relief Society, which was basically like an organization for Mormon women to do charitable work and to be a community and to represent what they wanted to see and to have a say in things. Not like much of a say. But some say, and that was because Emma was getting furious because like you have so many wives, like when, if you die, I am left with nothing and your kids are left with nothing. Mm -hmm. So he gave her a female relief society and she was the president and she started almost immediately marshalling resistance to plural marriage. And then he was like, no, no, no. When I said that you could have this little like morsel of power, I didn't mean that you could use it against me. This guy's such a dick. And I do think that he loved her in his own way. They initially fell madly in love with each other. And then he got so power hungry that he just couldn't stand it Mm -hmm. that she didn't agree with him. But what he ended up doing is (laughs) passing a law punishing adulterers with up to six months in jail and a fine of up to $1,000. So he was like, I'm not an adulterer. Because if I was an adulterer, I wouldn't pass these kinds of laws. This guy. Ugh. So yeah, in 1842, that's when he was elected as mayor of Nauvoo. And in 1842, that's when shit hit the fan with the Lilburn Boggs assassination attempt. It is suggested that 
Joe said to Porter Rockwell, like, hey, why don't you go over and take care of this problem that I have? It was an attempt, was not successful. And because Porter Rockwell was such a great gunslinger, he said, if I had wanted him dead, he'd be dead. So clearly I didn't do it, (laughs) which is just not a great argument. Joseph Smith said, if I had sent him to kill this man, he would be dead. He's not dead. So Porter Rockwell didn't do it and I didn't do it. It was just such a weird fucking thing. Yeah, he's too good of a shot. (laughs) The Missouri government had tried to get him extradited to Missouri to stand trial. Joe knew that if he ever returned to Missouri, he was toast. He was like, I cannot be allowed to be extradited. So he went to the Illinois governor and just begged him not to extradite him. When they tried to extradite him, I think he even like demanded the writ of habeas corpus in Nauvoo (laughs) and said, you can't extradite me. There's no proof. Yeah. Porter Rockwell had at that point, I think, been jailed for about eight months for this whole fiasco before they were like, we can't prove it because nobody's cooperating Mm -hmm. thing. So finally, Porter Rockwell was let go and he returned to Nauvoo. After all of this business, after John C. Bennett writes his expose on the history of the saints and starts fucking touring with it, it comes out that there have been some unsavory things said about like certain women being married, not just to Joseph Smith, but also being married to their husbands before Joseph Smith. And that was just like a layer on the layer cake of like people did not want to tolerate that shit. Like he's taking people's wives. He's like seducing other people's wives. He's married to women with multiple husbands. Yeah. All of it's fucked up. Yeah. Joe is like, I'm not going to be able to get away with this because there's too much focus on me now. Too many people are coming forward saying they know that I have plural marriage. They know that I'm an adulterer. So that's when he releases the official revelation of plural wives and eternal marriage. Plural wives meaning like men are supposed to take more than one wife because how are you going to populate your own world that you get when you die with only one wife? There are only so many hours in a day. You need so many wombs to populate with spirit babies. Come on now. I mean, I guess I get it. I don't know. It's just like backtracking. I would never, I would never do that. I would never do that. Okay, it's right. And I'm doing it because the Abrahamic religion says that I can do it. And God said, and it's literally in the doctrine as like God speaking, saying, when I allowed this to happen, it's because this was okay. And anyone who questions it is not loving their God. God just like, look, I changed my mind. This is fine. Around 1843, it was very clear because there was like a presidential election coming up that the Mormons were not going to be supported by anyone but another Mormon. At this point, Joe had been lobbying pretty heavily with politicians and and people in the running for uh, candidacy for the presidency of the United States. And he had been trying to figure out who was going to actually support the Mormons because he wanted the backing of a president. So much so that there was actually a Times and Seasons article, which was Times and Seasons was like the kind of more religious newspaper of Nauvoo that said that the man who would be most successful as a candidate would be a person who would back the Mormon principles and offer reparations for their grievances. So when his letters to different candidates were met with complete silence. He held an official meeting and he and his quorum of 12 decided that he would be the best candidate to run for president. So he ran for president for the 1844 election. I think it was 1844, 1845, 1844, maybe. So either way, obviously he didn't become president. 
1844, the council had a meeting and these meeting minutes were published much later. What was so important about this specific meeting was that the Council of 50 appointed Smith prophet, priest, and king, helping him shape a political platform while also making plans for what would happen if he lost the election and the Mormons needed to leave Nauvoo. Smith said the council had authority to decide which national or state laws Mormons should obey. The council was also to select a site for a large Mormon settlement in Texas, California, or Oregon. It could have been us. It ended up being Utah, where Mormons could live under theocratic law beyond other governmental control. I don't exactly understand why, if he didn't win the presidential election, that they needed to leave Nauvoo. The Missouri people were still out for blood. The Ohio people were still not happy. Like, they weren't coming as hard as the Missouri people because the Missouri people had much more of a reason to. People were very unhappy with the Mormons, and they were just causing a whole lot of trouble. Furthermore, it was like a mafia. They did, like, really shady shit. Yeah. And the the locals around these towns that they inhabited were basically just, like— left for dead by their government because the government was like, I don't know what to do with these fucking people. We gave them a charter. We allowed this. We can't help you. So everybody was pissed. Everybody was pissed. And it's the same thing that happened in Salt Lake. Like Salt Lake has a long and bloody history of Mormons taking over there too. William Law was a member of the Mormons the whole time, but he actually defects and then is formally excommunicated by the church. So he thinking like people have got to know what's going on with Joseph Smith and the Mormon church. He creates the Nauvoo Expositor, which is another newspaper. It only released one publication. (laughs) It basically threatened to expose the practice of plural marriage. And almost immediately, the Council of 50 and the Nauvoo Legion said, we got to burn this printing press to the ground. Oh, my God. So they burned it to the ground. Everything that they could find that was printed was burned. And this is when finally the Nauvoo Legion and Nauvoo and Joseph Smith were taken to task by state and federal military. (laughs) Enough is enough. (laughs) Like they were like, this shit is getting like way out of hand. We have got to stop this. He was immediately tried for declaring martial law. Joe is like, okay, Shit's about to get real here, martial law. But you can't just declare martial law. That's not how that works. You actually have to have permission by the state government. Like they actually have to say, yeah, that's okay. You can do this. And they like definitely didn't give them that. No, Joe was just like, I'm king now. (laughs) I'm doing it. Look at my resume. (laughs) I'm a lieutenant general. You can't stop me. (laughs) But the other thing that was found out was that he was actually actively drafting a new constitution for when the Mormons would take over the United States. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a lot of what he was like declaring seems like very fine on paper. Like he wanted to abolish slavery formally. He he had some good ideas in there, but the whole point of him abolishing slavery or like demanding rights and freedoms for Native Americans was mainly about having more force. Mm. It was not necessarily that he cared about the plight of these people. We're freeing you and taking care of you. So you're Mormon now. You're Mormon now and your land is our land and you're going to work for us. So they proselytize a lot to slaves. They proselytize a lot to free black men. They proselytize a lot to natives, but it was all to get what they wanted at the end. And it's not to say that like some of them weren't doing it because they fully believed in like, you know, we want to help you and we want you to 
we want you to succeed and we don't think that slavery is okay. But it was also like, we want you to be white and delightsome. You know, I mean, and that you see that kind of stuff even now, like with other religions and stuff where it's like, there's good intention people at the right. bottom. As the higher and higher up you go, the more you're like, wait, this is a load of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, the idea of missionary work now is like, we want to feed you. Obviously, everybody deserves food. But first, you need to listen to me talk to you about a God that you don't understand for 30 minutes and tell yeah. you that everything about how you're living has brought you to this place where you're starving and your children are sick and dying. If you're going to help somebody, just help them. And if they want to know what you believe in, then you tell them. Yeah, like go because you love God's people. Go because you want to help everybody, not because you are determined to spread your faith. Like mm -hmm. already it's like become this weird personal thing where mm -hmm. it's not about God anymore. It's about you, your faith. Yeah, I mean, it's been about Joe the whole time. He was threatened with military retaliation. And that's when he was like, oh shit, okay, I got to turn myself in. Because he was like, even though I have set myself up as like this big man who's going to take over, I'm going to get murdered. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, apparently he actually surrendered himself at Carthage Jail, him and his brother. They surrendered at Carthage, Illinois Jail. They were arrested and jailed for not only declaring martial law, but for treason. I, I think they might have been reprimanded for the burning of the press and trying to incite a riot. But like it was mainly about the treason and the martial law. Right. It's like in comparison, it's like that was no big deal, whatever. <laughs> right. Like that, whatever. But like, seriously, you went over our heads on this one and we can't stand for that. We look like idiots. Yeah. Um. So apparently they had the promise of protection from Governor Thomas Ford and the Carthage Grays, the local state militia in Hancock County. But two days later, they were completely overrun by a mob that ended up killing both Joseph Smith and Hiram. And there is some suggestion that Joseph Smith did like some secret Masonic signal to say I'm in trouble like before he died, but he fell out of a window and was shot. So he was pretty much done. That's the weird and crazy story of Joseph Smith. And, and you know that it, it continues going because it's not like Mormons stopped after that. It's not like, oh, our prophet is dead. We should stop all yeah, of this business. The opposite, right? Brigham Young ended up taking over for the like super fundamentalist sect, essentially. And he he pretty much named himself the, <laughs> the new prophet. It's me now. <laughs> it's me now. Emma ended up really fighting with Brigham Young. And, you know, she just wanted her kids to be okay. She wanted to be okay. She didn't want to be left with nothing. So she ended up actually receiving the deed to Joseph's hotel or God's hotel, rather. <laughs> it was actually in their possession until like the early 1900s when Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints bought it back from them. And the Reformed Church was actually, which did not practice plural marriage because Emma never agreed to that again. Uh, the Reformed Church actually ended up purchasing the hotel from Emma and her family. So yeah, Brigham Young ended up taking all of the Mormons from the Missouri, Illinois, or as many as he could get to Utah, where he, where it was like no man's land. It was still settled by natives who had lived there forever and people were still trying to like fight for territory. It was like, it was the, like you put your flag in the, the earth and then that's your oh, lands now. <laughs> yeah. That's why they ended up settling in Utah or they wanted to move West is they could build their own theocratic society like Joseph always wanted. Oh, some of them also ended up moving to Mexico. 
So some of them went south as well. And there is a Mormon mafia in Mexico as well. Some of them ended up settling in what is now Las Vegas. So there was a heavy sect of Mormon mafia in Las Vegas. Yeah. Is God's Hotel like still a hotel? Like, is it now like a tourist? I think it's just like a tourist attraction now. And I think it's called like the Restoration Mansion or something. Yeah. That's just a taste of like the craziness that is Joseph Smith's life and the life and times of the early Mormons. Like it's, it's bonkers. Yeah, it really is. That was really interesting. What a, what a wild ride. There's so much that I even, I couldn't cover. There's so much. Oh, I believe it. Well, just now actually let's change the podcast name to, I read a thing about Mormonism and then that's what we'll do for the rest of the, our lives. (laughs) I feel like there's at least enough for three or four seasons. I watched a show on Netflix and now I'm an expert. Yeah, now I know everything about sea and plastic and and orcas and... I haven't watched it yet because I'm afraid it's going to make me real sad. Me too. I turned it on the other day and Benny was like, are you really trying to cry tonight? I was like, "Mm, nah. Someone told me to watch my octopus teacher and I want to watch that, but it also sounds like the type of thing that's going to make me so terribly sad that I can't breathe. Right. Maybe now's not the best time. I think I need to wait to watch things about animals. Yeah. Do you know what you're talking about next time? No, you know, I don't. <laughs> there, there's a couple different things that I've been thinking about. So like a while ago, I wanted to talk about that woman who like went to Africa and like killed a bunch of people pretending that she was a doctor. And um, I hadn't thought about it much, but while you were talking, like some of the stuff kind of resonated with me. I'm like, gosh, maybe I should talk about that. But then I'm also thinking kind of about pop culture, about something that just had happened with Khloe Kardashian. Somebody like posted a picture of her at the beach and like you couldn't see her abs in the picture, but she still like looked fantastic. And Mm -hmm. she filed one of those like DMCAs to like get the photo taken down, went on live stream to be like, I have abs. Okay. And just sort of things like that in pop culture and, you know, like with these people that is just so yucky. Why do you need to prove to somebody that you have abs when you're at the beach? Well, right. I was talking to Benny about it this morning, actually. It's like, yeah, you still are fit. You still have abs, but you're having a good time. So you're not like standing there flexing like you are right now in this fucking video. Right. So I'm not totally sure. I might do the other one first because I kind of already started reading about it a while ago and then just like dropped it. I would I would be really fascinated to learn more about all that stuff. Yeah, same. So I got to like, I got to read some things. (laughs) You got to read a thing? (laughs) Many of things. I think this was a good episode and I'm sorry that it took me so long to get my shit together. Oh my gosh, it's okay because the people that like listen to our podcast and care about what we have to say, like are are waiting, <laughs> you know, and aren't like, what the fuck? I'm done with them. I need yeah. hot takes on Mormons. Yeah, you know, it's like life happens and what are you gonna do? Thank you guys for being so patient with me and we love you. So please continue to listen. <laughs> Pretty please. I know my friend was like, should I like comment on one of the one of the episodes being like, Aww. I'm waiting for the new episode. <laughs> like, I don't want to be pushy, but like, I am waiting. Hello. <laughs> it's half past time for a Mormon weird thing. <laughs> right. I know this was quite the cliff- cliffhanger, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I really like to make people work for it mm-hmm. so that they lose interest a little bit once I get back to it. <laughs> All right, you guys, you have been listening to I Read a Thing and I am getting back into real life. So I promise you, you will not have to wait another like month and a half for another I Read a Thing episode. You can find out more about us on iReadAThing.com. You can also visit us wherever you stream podcasts or wherever you have social media. We are at least vaguely there. 
So please follow us because we we're not going to be Joseph Smith anytime soon with 200 people on our friends list. <laughs> we need more. We have 200 followers on Instagram. We have people, okay, but we don't have Joseph Smith numbers. No, you're right. I'm looking for that Joseph Smith clout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are lieutenant generals. Yes, I am a general now. Mm-hmm. Follow my army of fingers. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. It's so good. All right, you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.